0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to you who are watching via live stream, whether you're here in Steinbeck or Manitoba, maybe you're at your cottage. Uh, Lucky, nice to be you. Wish I was you. and uh, those uh, around Canada and around the world, we're, we're actually privileged and uh, warmly welcome you to be with us uh, this morning. Um, let me just put you at ease before I really get into things here. As far as I know, unless God has different plans, there's nothing earth-shaking going to happen today. There is no, we've never done this before moment, so just relax. I've just had people come to me all week long saying, Weren't you the one who spoke first when we first had to deal with COVID? And I went, yeah. And then, weren't you one of the who get up when we were able to live stream again in the church, but nobody could come in? And I went, yeah. And weren't you speaking last week when the elders gave their announcement? And I went, you know, we can just talk about something else. <laughs> that was me. Thanks for bringing it up. So today we get to shake all that. Nothing like that's gonna happen. But by the way, if you if you missed that announcement, the really, really, really short news is that Pastor Chris and LaDon are off on an extended summer break to sort out some things as to where, what, and how God is going to continue to use them. I've been there as a lead pastor for many years. The most staff I ever had was 15, so never at the scale that Pastor Chris and LaDon have had to work with here with all of us. It's a lot to watch over, it's a lot to keep control of, to watch over and oversee. I can tell you that it's the next thing to impossible, humanly speaking. To keep all the plates spinning in the air that you need to keep spinning when you're the lead pastor, when the buck stops at your desk. And still in all of those spinning plates, still somehow spin off some time for yourself to make sure you are still on the path that God wants you to be on. I mean, think about it. Even your GPS needs to do what? Recalibrate, right? Recalculating, recalculating. We all need to do that. I've said it many times that for all of us, pastors, staff, you, everyone included, there's nothing like being exactly where God wants you to be, doing exactly what God wants you to be doing when He wants you to be doing it. I think it behooves all of us to keep checking with God to make sure we are lining up with His will will in our lives. Don't you agree? And that's why there's been so much praying for Pastor Chris and LaDawn and for all of us as the church that he leads and why many of us have been fasting as well over the last few days. And as I surveyed where we find ourselves, it came to me that we are in Saturday. Now, of course, this being Sunday, you're already thinking he's lost it and this is the big thing that's going to happen today. (laughs) Nope nope, that's not it. I know it's startling, but bear with me for a moment. This is Saturday. Right now, we're in the middle of something. Having heard the news, unsure of what's going to happen, no clue what God is going to do, not really understanding how it will all turn out. This has happened many times before to God's A few quick examples. The children of Israel were in the middle of something like this for 40 years. Now, you know, I think you're you're going, oh, what a great message of hope, Pastor. Just only 40 years, you say? No. Well, that be what it was, right? They were told they were going to a land of milk and honey, a figure of speech for, you know, a wonderful land that awaited them, what became known as the promised land to them, but they had no idea how or when that was going to come to be. For a whole generation, they wandered and they wondered. They had the promise, but not the fulfillment. They're in the middle. Much later, the people of Israel are taken captive by the Babylonians, and many of them are carted off to Babylon. Once again, they're given a promise of return, but cannot see the fulfillment. They're in the middle of it. It's the Passover celebration week. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and a crowd awaits to celebrate their coming king, only to discover that the kingdom that he desires to establish is in people's hearts, and not a political one involving the overthrow of the Roman occupation. In what what seems to be way too sudden, but reveals, frankly, just how fickle we all are in our humanness, almost to a person, these same people who have been shouting Hosanna now, turn on him. And by the end of the week, they are going along with the religious rulers of the day in wanting Jesus out of there. In fact, not just gone, not even just killed, but crucified. The most horrendous, horrible, gruesome, humiliating, painful, torturous way that the Romans could devise, and frankly, anybody's sins, could devise to do away with those who they thought were their deepest, darkest enemies, their biggest threats. A Roman citizen couldn't be crucified. It was that horrible. And in the meantime, they get to send this message to everyone else. Don't even think about doing this. They arrest Jesus with the help of one of his own followers They rip through a mock trial on completely false charges and find him guilty basically of being exactly who he said he was and he's crucified. I want you to imagine now, I want to take you back there. I want you to imagine you're one of his followers in that moment, one of his disciples. You have faithfully followed and and learned from him every day for three years You've seen him perform miracles of healing and deliverance and even raising people from the dead. In your mind, and don't we do this? In your mind, you start calculating how many more years of this amazing blessing are yet to come. How long is this going to last? You just see the future playing out in this wonderful panorama of joy and blessing. We're only 30 years old. We must have at least another 30 years with Jesus, 10 times what we've already had. Who knows what may happen in that time, what more there is to learn, what great things we will see. You know, he's tried to warn you as disciples. He's tried to warn you, but you can't even begin to wrap your head around the idea that he might be leaving, what he's saying and then suddenly he's arrested and taken off. This can't be right. He will overcome this somehow like all the other things that have come before. But the trial goes on. He's beaten to within an inch of his life. This can't be part of God's plan. Something is horribly wrong here. He's convicted and suddenly you look in the mirror and it all seems to be crumbling around you. Wait a minute, you cry. What is going on here? And then you start to look around. For the first time, you start to think about just how loud you just said that, and how this impacts you. If they've done this to Jesus, with the kind of heaven sent power he had, and you're one of his followers, what's to stop them from coming after you? And you quickly get out of sight. Your ears can hardly believe the news that comes to you next. Jesus is crucified and laid to rest in a tomb. Is everything lost? Was it all for nothing? And it's Saturday. We never hear much or think a lot about Saturday, do we? We hear about Palm Sunday and Good Friday, and we recognize the brutal murder of Jesus as something he willingly endured to satisfy the penalty for sin that you and I, by rights, should pay. In the shedding of his blood, we recognize and we believe we've had all the stain of our sins washed away, and in the midst of recognizing the cost our Lord paid on that day, we celebrate his love and our forgiveness. And we of course hear even more about Easter Sunday. We wholeheartedly take part in the joyous celebration that the last hurdle, the last barrier, the last weapon of the enemy has been trampled on, just destroyed. There is victory over the grave. Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive, it's not over. In fact, in many ways, it's just begun. A page has been turned, and a new chapter, the chapter of the church, is being written. Hallelujah. Without that, not one of us would be here today. But what about Saturday? Because we know what's to happen on Sunday, we jump right over Saturday. And why not, really? Sunday is too wonderful in its scope to behold. We have that hindsight, you see. More than being told what's going to happen, we are privileged, unlike the disciples in that moment, to actually know what's going to happen, what did happen. But what about Saturday to Jesus' disciples and followers? Saturday's a tough day. Saturday's a day that nobody likes to talk about because it's that in-between, in-the-middle kind of day. The promise has been made. The fulfillment of the promise is yet to be realized. So Saturday is that awkward, awkward, I don't know exactly what to do in between time. It's the time between the promise and the fulfillment of it. And some of you know what Saturdays are like. Some of you just buried perhaps a loved one and while the promise of God is that you'll be reunited with them someday, they're there and you're here. There's the promise, and someday there will be the fulfillment of the promise, but you're in a Saturday season right now. Some of you are perhaps just starting out on your spiritual journey of trying to understand who God is and what what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you read, if you seek after me, I will help you find me. You're honoring the promise. You're looking, but you haven't found him yet. Can I encourage you to just keep on looking, but you're in that in-between time. You're in a Saturday season in between the promise and the fulfillment. Some of you are newer followers of Christ. The promise is that you will reorient your life around the way that Jesus lived, that he will bless your life, that he will become a part of your life. It will be a better path that you walk from here on in. But you haven't seen the fulfillment of that yet. You're in a Saturday season. You know, I think as a church, We are in a Saturday season right now, too. We have the promise that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But things are a little unsettled at the moment and we can't see the fulfillment, can we? So what do you do in a Saturday season? You hold on. You trust. You pray. You decide, I am not going to cave in. I am going to manifest faith. I'm going to be faith-walking. And you hold on. You hold on until Sunday comes and the promise is fulfilled. But can I be frank with you? I know I'm Lauren, but if I could just be frank with you for a moment, send all your emails to Pastor Frank, but for a, let me, for a moment, just let me be frank, okay? What I've just said is so much easier to say, right? Hold on, hang in there, manifest faith. Oh, That's easy to say, but it's not so easy to do. Why is that? I want to talk to you today about a, a topic that is relevant to this and maybe the answer to that question for every single person here. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, or even whether or not it affects you today, I know at some point it will. And I'm, I'm up here standing on the shoulders of, of noted um, theologians and authors, uh, like Ravi Zacharias and A.W. And, uh, Tozer and, and Lee Strobel uh, in the information that I'm gonna share with you here. Because I wanna to talk to you about a tool A rather benign tool, frankly, when it just sits there. But a tool, nonetheless, that our sworn enemy, the devil, who loves to steal, kill, and destroy, he twists it inside of us so that we think it's a mortal sin, so heinous, so terrible, that we would not care to admit it even on our deathbed. What is it? It's the subject of doubt. And we're going to talk about it today because I believe it's in the hiddenness, it's in the secretiveness of such topics that we let the enemy gain a strategic foothold in our lives, particularly when we're in a Saturday season. See, the truth is, we all wrestle with doubt to some degree. Everybody has doubts. We all have a tendency to second-guess ourselves and say, did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Should I take it back? There are many different kinds of doubt, obviously. When we doubt the future, we call it worry. When we doubt other people, we call it suspicion. When we doubt ourselves, we call it inferiority. When we doubt everything, we call it cynicism. When we doubt what we see on the internet, we call it good sense. Maybe you've questioned whether God has forgiven you, and you know according to the Bible that when you receive Jesus' forgiveness, he forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. But you have this residual guilt and shame thing going on that you can't seem to get rid of. You can't seem to even forget yourself, and you wonder, doubt, Maybe you question where the Bible can be trusted these days by a thinking 21st century person. Maybe you said to yourself, I think I'm a follower, but maybe I wasn't sincere enough when I prayed that prayer. So, I'm um, not all that sure. Much of this year has been consumed with concern over the COVID virus, but there's a spiritual virus that has been going around church circles for centuries. It's the virus of doubt. And if you haven't caught it, you probably will. Because if you're seriously, and I mean this, if you're seriously contemplating faith in Jesus Christ, if you really take serious what it means, what the Bible says it is to be a follower of Christ, then it's almost inevitable that sooner or later you're going to have some issues. Some questions, some hesitations, some uncertainties, some doubts over one thing or another. So perhaps we've answered the first question for ourselves. Do we ever doubt? Well, yeah. Well, but then comes the next question. Okay, if we're infected, is there a cure or is this fatal? Let's let Paul tell us a little bit about that. We're oppressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, we doubt, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. The point Paul's making here is that we're never alone, and it's possible to have doubts, but not be defeated by them. So let's put this doubt virus under the microscope and take a close look at doubt, or maybe better put, what doubt isn't because many people think that doubt is unbelief it's not it's not it's a very common misconception actually the opposite of faith is unbelief right faith unbelief and there's a big difference between unbelief and doubt unbelief theoretically and you know positively identified is when you know exactly what god wants you to do there's no question of misunderstanding or doubt here. It's, I know exactly what God wants to do. I've read the Bible and I'm still going to say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to choose to do something different. I'm going to live in unbelief. I'm going to choose to believe something different. That's unbelief. But that's not what doubt is. Doubt doubt simply is when you honestly don't know what God wants to do in a situation. You don't know how to even pray about it. You may have questions or concerns about your faith. In fact, you can have a strong faith and still have some doubts. You can be heaven-bound and still have some uncertainty about some issues. Are you doubting anything about God? Perhaps you're doubting his love. If God loved me, why did he allow da 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 And you doubt his love. Some of you are perhaps doubting God's grace. If God really cared, if God really was understanding, if God really was willing to forgive, then why am I still burdened by this? You're doubting God's care. If God really cared, he'd see what's going on. Why doesn't he do something? Some of you may be doubting God's power. God, I'm bankrupt. God, I just got a terrible diagnosis. God, my husband, my wife has just walked out on me. And you're doubting God's power. Some of you might doubt God's forgiveness. You know, something you did was wrong and you've already confessed it, but it's still hanging over you and you're, you're just like, God, I still feel guilty about that. And you're really so wound up that you can't hear God say, I've already forgiven you. I've already forgiven you. Some of you may be doubting God's faithfulness. What's gonna happen to me? What's in store for me? I just got laid off. What does my future hold? See, here's the point. The strongest faith comes out of struggles with your doubt. David says, God, I don't know what's gonna happen. It's Saturday, I'm in the middle. Why are you allowing this? Why do bad things happen to good people? And if you look closely at David's psalms, you'll see almost a pattern continue to repeat itself throughout the psalms, and I'm doing this to see if the camera operator has fallen asleep or not. So if, if you look at the psalms, you'll see that God actually speaks to David in the midst of his complaining. He starts off, God, I can't believe this is happening. What about my enemies? What about this? And by the end of the psalm, he's going, wait a minute, you're God, and I'm not. You got the last word. I'm grateful that you have the last word. You're someone to be praised and honored. Some of our strongest faith comes out of our struggles with our doubts. Job says, God, are you sure? Do you really love me? Are you sure you know what's going on? It's Saturday. Are you sure you have the power to change my situation? Abraham not believing he's going to be a father at age 90 and his wife being told as an elderly woman that she's going to have her very first child. We know she doubted. Because if a 90-year-old woman were to get pregnant, she wouldn't be laughing. She'd be crying. (laughs) We know that she doubted, right? It's been said that struggling with God over the issues of life does not show a lack of faith. That is faith. Think about it. Who are you taking your your concerns, your doubts to? To God. I mean, he's just thrilled that you've come to him. It's an act of faith to come to God and ask him why. Coming to God with your struggles over an issue, over doubt, is faith. It's what faith is all about. If you want a biblical example, Just peruse the Psalms and see it over and over again. Go through it and look how many times David was calling out to God, where are you? And he answers, he's raising these issues and questions of doubt. Did David have a weak faith? No, he had a strong faith. This is how a strong faith is often expressed in honesty, in talking to God about the issues that are foremost in our hearts and our minds. Just going to God is an act of faith. You see, now that many think that doubt is unforgivable, but it's not. God doesn't condemn us when we question him. A great biblical example of this, I mean, it's like the, you know, it would appear in in a book under the definition of this. It's by far the greatest example, and so many use it, and I'm going to too. The greatest biblical example of this is John the Baptist. If anybody in history should have been absolutely sure that Jesus is who he said he was, it was John the Baptist. He's the guy who pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus. He saw the heavens open up. He hears the voice of God say, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the guy who shortly after that, he points to Jesus and said, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Incredible faith, right? But what happens? The plan gets muddled, he finds himself in Saturday. He gets arrested, he gets thrown into jail. He's in a Saturday season and there he comes down with the virus of doubt. Now he's not so sure. How could this be the plan? Now he's uncertain. Is Jesus really who he claims to be? Or should we be looking for someone else still? So he sends two of his friends to check Jesus out. They go. And he wants them to say this. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for to rescue the world? Or do we need to go somewhere else? And they go. They track Jesus down, and he says, well, wait a minute. What's wrong with John? If anybody should know who I am, it's John. I mean, this is ridiculous. Does he criticize him? Does he throw John under the camel train? Does he slam dunk him? Does he disqualify him from a role in the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. The Bible says Jesus answered and said to them, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus is saying, go back and tell John about all these evidences you have seen and heard that authenticate my claim to being the one and only Son of God, and that will renew his confidence and will bolster back up his faith. Does Jesus now think John is worthless and is no good anymore for kingdom building? No, it's shortly after this, he says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Wouldn't you like to have Jesus say that about you? I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than, and put your name in there. John doubted, yet Jesus is giving John the highest compliment in the world at the very same time. John has questions, concerns, doubts, The lesson for us is when you have questions, when you have concerns, and when you have doubts, God does not think any less of you. He wants to dialogue with you. So doubt is not unforgivable. Many think, however, that doubt is unhealthy, but it isn't always. And this kind of is where it all kind of comes down here. Actually, doubts can produce some positive side effects if we we take stepwards towards towards resolving them. It's a little like an immunization, and I know we're all sick of hearing about this, so bear with me for a moment. You can get an immunization to help your body fight off future disease it gives you a little bit of the disease, alive or dead, depending on the thing, and then your body reacts and builds up antibodies. So if you're ever exposed to that disease disease, again, your body will be able to fight it off before it takes hold and causes real problems. Your body is actually stronger, you see, from the experiences of having had a bit of that disease injected in the first place. And when you're infected with doubt, it's kind of the same thing. If you respond to it by seeking answers to your questions, you can emerge stronger than ever in your faith. Your faith can be confirmed once more, and it can give you new confidence in dealing with other doubts that come up in the future. It turns out that this virus can inspire us as well. So tasting a little bit of doubt can deepen your faith. It can give you a heartier, more enduring, more resilient faith. I want a faith. I want to be like Clint Eastwood when it comes to this. I want to look faith, I want to look doubt in the eye and make it blink. How about you? I want to look doubt square in the eye and make it blink. I don't want a faith that shrinks back and is afraid to get into the front line of fire. I know my faith is going to be stronger having been tested I hope that doubt looks a little bit different to us now that we brought it out into the light. I wanna reemphasize the fact that even though doubt is common, even though it's not unforgivable, it's still extremely dangerous. If you leave it unchecked, it can cause great damage to your faith. Critics, our guilty conscience, circumstances can cause us to doubt God. How do you keep the doubt virus from making you spiritually sick? How do you stay out of doubt? Well, here's some quick responses to that, kind of uh, an order. First, scout your doubts. Be honest with yourself. Do a little bit of a scouting exercise. In other words, go look in the mirror. Honestly, people, I think one of the greatest uh, spiritual things that we have, tools in our disposal that God has given us, are mirrors. Almost at any time when something comes to mind and I'm struggling with it, the very first thing I do is go look in the mirror. Go look in the mirror. Be honest with yourself You cannot overcome doubt unless you recognize where it's coming from, what the root is. You need to analyze the source. You need to get past the surface level. Go deep, ask some tough questions of yourself. Don't be intimidated by your doubts. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. He missed the first reappearance of Jesus after the resurrection. And when he came to be with the other 11 and they told him, he's alive, Ah, what? Mass hallucination. I read about this on the internet. Yeah, you all just thought you saw something. You wanted it so bad to happen, you just imagined it happened. I'm not going to believe that till I see him myself. And when Jesus did reappear again to see Thomas, what did he do? Did he criticize him? Did he put Thomas down? Did he yell at him? Did he scold him? No, he opened his arms come here, Thomas, come here. He opened his arms in love to Thomas, and Thomas, the doubter, became a believer. The point is that not even your doubts can stop God from loving you. Even if you doubt him, he loves you. It's unconditional, you see, and that covers doubt as well. That's why the story of Thomas is so important. It's built around this, that's not to say that doubt is praiseworthy. The Bible never says that. But it does say that laying out our doubts, setting, scouting them out before him is what God wants us to do. And then lay out your doubts. Pray. Okay, so first be honest with yourself. Go look in the mirror. Then be honest with God. It's not out of bounds by any stretch for you when you're wrestling with questions and issues to go to God and say, I'm having some problems with doubt. Would you bolster my faith? Would you strengthen my faith? James says, we don't have because we don't ask. Imagine that you've just put in years and years and years of like, I can't tell anybody, including God, about my doubt, which of course is just crazy, right? Because God knows already. And you've just been hiding behind it and and worrying about it and festering about it and you think you've done something so terribly wrong that you can't tell anybody. And then one day you're there, you're you're talking, you're before the judgment seat and all you get, all the answer you get is, well, it was there if you asked for it. You didn't have, you didn't get past that because you didn't ask for it. Go to God, not as a last resort, but as a first priority God, lead me to wisdom to help me get answers. Bring me to people who can help me in my faith to strengthen my faith. See, that's what community is about. That's what church is all about. James said, we should honestly admit our struggles with each other and our shortcomings to each other and pray for each other. And thirdly, doubt your doubts. That sounds a little weird, isn't it? But really, doubt your doubts. It's ironic. We do the exact opposite. Have you ever thought about this? We doubt our beliefs and we believe our doubts. I mean, that's just crazy. That doesn't make any sense. What we need to do is believe our beliefs and doubt our doubts. Doubt your doubts. Look at them sideways. Say, yeah, I doubt it. What do you listen to the most? Who do you listen to the most? Do you listen to God's word or do you listen to your feelings? I don't feel loved. I don't feel God right now. I don't feel like God has a plan for me. I don't think God's got a plan for this. I think this slipped by him. I don't feel like I'm good enough. Do you listen to God's word or do you listen to your feelings? some people, you see, have a faith that is fundamentally built on feelings. Well, then you can imagine the roller coaster that happens and doubt being a part of it. The moment they gave their life to Jesus, it was such a euphoric experience, and it is for many people, and that's wonderful. It's exhilarating beyond measure to know all your sins are forgiven, and you're going to spend eternity in heaven. With some people, it kind of just has to stay there in order to be real. But that doesn't last. It begins to taper off. And then people begin to think that their faith is tapering off as well. Like Gordon Lightfoot. I don't know where we went wrong, but the feeling's gone. And I just can't get it back. The feeling isn't the same. So they think there's a problem with their faith. And they begin doubting. The reality is... And it's a reality for all of us if we find ourselves in this place. The reality is they're just misunderstanding the relationship between feelings and faith. Faith is not fundamentally about feelings and emotions. Faith is fundamentally a decision of the will to follow Jesus Christ. It's a choice that we make. Our faith doesn't ebb and flow according to how emotionally charged up we are. I want to tell you a story about a fellow. We'll call him our friend. Our friend went from the East Coast where he grew up over to California when he was 30 years old. He was a really good guy, and he had a strong faith in God, and he wanted more than anything for God to do something really positive in his life. But our friend had another friend named Chuck, and Chuck went to a very liberal seminary And he started raising questions about God, and especially about the Bible, with our friend. He started talking to our friend, saying, you can't trust the Bible, and started to undermine his faith. And Chuck started to get more and more with this, and our friend started to get more and more shaky in his thinking. But fortunately, our friend had another voice in his life, a woman who was a strong Bible scholar, she would whisper in his other ear, it's not true. It's just not true. What you're hearing isn't true. Here's the evidence. Look in God's word. Here's the facts. Here's why you can trust the Bible. Our friend said, and this is a quote, I felt like I was on a rack, being stretched in two different directions, being pulled toward doubt one way and pulled toward faith another way. He said, if I didn't come to a point of total doubt, I did come to a point of being very disturbed by the whole experience, very unsettled. Once, as he was walking down a path nearby, our friend said, God, I need your help in this. I don't want to have a weak faith. I feel like it's slipping. I want a strong and powerful faith. I want you to use me in a positive way. And he gets down on his knees right there in the path. And he says, based on all the evidence for the trustworthiness of the Bible, I'm going to, as a choice of my will, accept the Bible as being your word. And I'm going to base my life on it. And I'm going to live the way it says I ought to live, and I'm going to tell others about it as well. And he said, I got up off my knees, and it was like God breathed fresh life into my faith. I felt like a spiritual battle for my soul had just been fought and been won. Our friend's name was Billy Graham. And look what God has done through his faith. Did he have doubts? Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely. See, doubt can infect us if we don't know what we believe. You may know a lot about the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God, but you don't know anything about the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of God. And if you don't know those things, then you're going to wonder why he doesn't do certain things that you think he ought to do and why he does things that you think he ought not to do. And doubts begin to come in because you don't have a fully formed picture of who God is. It's why Pastor Chris has been taking us earlier on in this series through just who is God. In the same way, we may think that God has promised to answer all of our prayers in the way we want them to be answered. And when we pray and our prayers aren't answered the way we expect them to be, we begin to doubt Some people think that God promises health and wealth to everybody who follows Jesus. And when they're not particularly healthy and not particularly wealthy, then they're going to have some doubts about him. See, the problem isn't with God. He never promised those things. The problem is with us having an inaccurate view of who he is. And that allows questions and uncertainties to come in. I mean, all you have to do is look and see what happened to Jesus' disciples to know health and prosperity was not on the ticket. Do you listen to circumstances or what the Bible says? Because we're supposed to trust in the Lord with our heart, with all our heart, and lean not on our own understanding. Doubt your doubts. And finally, set out with doubt. Don't wait till you've got all your doubts settled. Set out right away. It may just be a little that you, you know, a little bit of faith that you have, but just go forward. See, you can be filled with faith and doubt at the same time. Absolutely. Everybody has faith. You have faith. You had faith this morning. You had faith, guys, when you woke up this morning and your wife brought you breakfast. Well, first of all, that's just like, wow, right? But beyond that, you had faith that she'd used the proper ingredients in it, hadn't you? You have faith every time you get out of here onto Highway 52, do you not? Absolutely. That takes a lot of faith. You had faith when you sat down on the chair you're sitting in and you never even thought about it. You had faith it wouldn't collapse or you would have got down on your hands and knees and looked underneath. Make sure. Check everything. Everybody has faith. We exercise faith all over the place. It's just what you put it in that makes all the difference. See, it's not the size of your faith that makes the difference. It's what you put it in. You get a little faith. Faith even the size of a little mustard seed. I would have it up here, but I could hold it like this and still have my fingers completely closed. That's how small a mustard seed is. And you put a mustard-sized faith in a big, 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 big God, and you're going to get big results, aren't you? Is God limited by the fact that it's just a mustard seed? Not at all. I've talked to people who say they don't want to make any commitment or attempt anything or start a ministry or even get baptized until they have all their doubts cleared up. And I say, I sure hope that happens before you die. Because that's not the way you do it. See, if you have all your doubts removed, where's the faith? Do you need faith? if it's all just laid out for you. See, that there's this weird relationship between doubt and faith. I've been a Christian for 45 years and there are still a lot of things I have questions about. When I get to heaven, I could live, you know, an arm's length. I could come up with an arm's length list of questions. I have a sneaking suspicion that when I get to heaven, I could care less about all that stuff. But you don't have to figure everything out in advance. You just need to set out. You begin with the faith that you have, and every little step you take towards Christ actually moves you further away from doubt, discouragement, and despair, and closer to more and more faith. you got to set out. Is it possible that you could have the kind of confidence that you know, no matter what happens in your life, between now and when you die, that when you die, you're going to go straight to heaven and be with the Father for the rest of your life? Is that possible? Absolutely it's possible. That's what this was written for. That's why we have this over and over and over again. It tells us the promise. These things have I written to you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. We're in Saturday, but the promise is coming. These things are written in the Bible so that you may know absolutely for certain, for sure, confident. Know without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to heaven. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean we won't sin. That doesn't mean we won't disappoint ourselves and everyone else around us. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect for the rest of our life. I mean, we won't be, right? But isn't it so great that you don't have to be perfect to get to heaven? I mean, just think about this. All you have to do is put your faith in Christ. Thank God we don't have to work our way to heaven. Because you know what the entrance requirements are? Perfection. You get perfection, you can just walk right in. You can say, thanks, Jesus, don't need the cross. I am perfect. And walk right into heaven. So far, nobody's been able to do that, right? Because nobody's perfect. And this isn't a perfect church because we're all here. And none of us are Perfect. It's so good. It's so gracious of God to tell us we don't have to be perfect. It's, it's just good enough to put our faith in the one who was and the one who is. The Bible says we all fall short. Thank God perfection is not the way. What is the way? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the way maker. I am the promise keeper. You're in a Saturday? I am the promise keeper. The fulfillment will come. I am the light in the darkness. You put your faith in me, not in your own efforts. And you can know for sure. What was it that turned Thomas the doubter, the skeptic, into Thomas the believer? It was a personal, hands-on encounter with Jesus Himself. If you've never had that, regardless of your religious background today, to meet, and you can do that. You know, really, all you need to do is say, "Lord Jesus, I want." to believe in you. Help me with my doubt. That's it. That's good enough. Jesus healed the Jesus, I want to believe in you. Help me with my doubts. Or doubt God's love, or doubt the uncertainties of life. Anyway. You all of those with confidence as you place hands of the one who died goes again and says to you anything is possible if you believe in me what we have in Jesus amen I'm going to ask you to kind of just add this is where we usually stand at this point in our service for closing worship. This time, I'm asking you to stay seated, and you're welcome to sing along with Zach and Manukia and the and the worship set here. But if God has been speaking to you about your doubt, and if God is just, as God is just going to speak over you now some words of encouragement, I would encourage you just to pray while the song just kind of flows over you about what a friend we have in Jesus perhaps this is the moment where you need to bring everything in your heart to him walk right into the throne room of God with Jesus even as we sing he's here he can take care of all your cares right now Would you let him? Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayeratmyselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayeratmyselfland.com.